Good morning and welcome. We are so excited that you have chosen to join us for uh, this third annual, which I guess since it's Easter it'd have to be annual, uh, <laughs> celebration together here at the Civic Center. Uh, we're just glad to be together on this day where we can focus on and exalt in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It proved him to be the victor over death in the grave. Yeah, we are so glad you guys are here to celebrate with us. For those of you who are new or don't know, I am Pastor Keegan, and this is Pastor Mark. And for the past few years, like he said, our churches have joined together uh, on Easter to worship and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think before we get started, we should, uh, should pray uh, before we really dive into the message. So if you bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what today means. For the resurrection of your Son. Victory over death. So that we could have a relationship with you, God. And God, I just want to thank you for everyone that has joined us here. And that we can celebrate this, not as separate churches, separate denominations, but as brothers and sisters in your name. And God, I just ask that your spirit would move throughout this room, that it would move throughout this community and this state and even this world, God, so that people may know what your love is and what you've done for us, God. God, we just ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, it is exciting for us to be able to be working together again, and, and, and we're doing that because we believe that what God is, is doing here and wants to continue to do here in Hot Springs is bigger than any one church or, or any particular denomination. And so we're standing here uh, before you together because we want to proclaim that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive and well, and he is actively working. Well, we believe he wants to do and is doing great things in hot springs. He's working throughout the world, and he's working in individual hearts. And, and that's a, a remarkable thing, considering that it's been some 2,000 years since he was walking and ministering on the earth. That's right. That's not something you'd say about any other person who has ever lived. And really, that's why we celebrate Easter, Jesus' victory on the cross and over death, so that our ransom for our sins could be paid. And we not only have the joy of knowing that our God loves us so much that he sent his son to be that ransom, but that Jesus is stronger and more powerful than death itself so that we can have life through him. That's, that's again, that's why we're celebrating. That's why we're here. We want to proclaim that. And, and I imagine uh, there's a variety of reasons why you're here this morning. You may be here because you are already a committed follower of Jesus Christ and you wanted to be able to celebrate together with brothers and sisters. And, and that's awesome. We're glad you're here. Uh, you might be here even as a, a skeptic uh, or someone who's just curious. You're, you're wanting to check it out. You're wondering what it's all about. Well, we're, we're glad that you're here too. That, that's awesome. I mean, you, you might be here because you have a drug problem. Your spouse or your parents drug you out of bed and drug you down here because it's <laughs> Easter. <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> What, whatever the reason you're here, 
We're glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, it is a, a day marked with great joy for us, and, and, and actually joy is a theme we want to focus on this morning because joy is something that marked the life of Jesus from the very beginning uh, until now. That's right. There was joy from the day of Jesus' birth. And I know Easter, we're here to celebrate and focus on his resurrection. Uh, but I think it would be good for us to really get an overall view of where it really started and what it really looks like and end with that accumulation of what his resurrection really means. And so uh, starting with his birth, I know that's a Christmas story, but I think it gives us a great picture of joy. Uh, and you know what's so unique about Jesus' birth? It, it wasn't like yours and mine. <laughs> it is completely different. In fact, he was born to a virgin named Mary through the power and spirit of God. And he was sent by God, literally the literal son of God, to live a perfect life for us. Now, some would think that the savior of the world, the son of God, would have this extravagant start to life, uh, born to people of influence and power, born in a place fit for a king. Um, but those of you that know the story know that it wasn't. In fact, he was born to Mary, a humble girl from a small village and raised by a carpenter named Joseph. And when he was born, he wasn't born in a nice delivery room or a palace. In fact, he wasn't even born in a home, but a stable, a place meant for animals. And when he was laid down to rest, it was in a manger, a trough that animals ate out of instead of a bed. And so to many, this may not seem like a great start or a joyous start. But the thing is, it isn't the status to which Christ was born. It wasn't the place that he was born, but the fact that he was sent by God to be born. That is where the joy is found. In Luke 2, we're told that on the night of Jesus' birth, an angel appeared to shepherds that were laying in the field. And this is what the angel told those shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This, this baby, baby Jesus, was the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior that the people of Israel had been waiting for. Hundreds of years before this moment, prophecies had been made about one who would usher in a new kingdom and a new reign and would save the nation of Israel. And here they are being told that that Savior is born. The one that they had been waiting for was finally here. Even more, this baby was to not just be the savior of Israel, but for everyone. The eternal outcome of everyone then, now, and forever was changed the moment Jesus entered the world. So, so not only was Jesus' birth something special and filled with joy, something that set him apart, uh, as Keegan just shared, but, but so was his life, right? And, and actually, the, the first 30 years of his life was pretty ordinary. I mean, it, it wouldn't have been much different than that of, of any other Jewish boy growing up in that time period. Uh, Jesus would have gone to school. He would have started school in the synagogue when he was five years old. And uh, by the time he was 12, he would have had to have memorized the entire 
uh, books from Genesis to Deuteronomy, the first five books of the, the, the Bible, along with most of the Psalms and big chunks of the prophets. And, and also then at age 12, he would have been able to participate for the first time, uh, 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 considered more of an adult, in the <coughs> Passover feast in Jerusalem, uh, which directly leads to maybe the one event that was a little bit out of the ordinary for his growing up uh, years, right? Uh, if you know the story, the family went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover when he was 12 years old. And uh, uh, after the Passover was done, everybody from Nair, uh, Nazareth gathered together in a great big caravan and headed back home. But Jesus wasn't with them. He stayed in Jerusalem. Parents didn't figure this out until that evening when they're walking around running through all the caravan trying to figure out where he's at. And when they realized he wasn't there, they rushed back to Jerusalem uh, in kind of a, a freaked out panic, which, you know, that's what parents do. Um, <laughs> and they're looking all over Jerusalem for him. Finally, they find him in, in the temple and they were astounded because he had been in the temple dialoguing, conversing with these, these elite religious leaders. And he wasn't just holding his own. It says he was confounding them with, with their wisdom. And they said to Jesus, man, what, what are you doing here? And, and he simply replied back to them, well, why is it you are looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But other than that one incident when he was 12, he would have had a fairly ordinary uh, childhood and growing into adulthood, learning the family trade. He did all of that up until the age of 30. And then at 30, he switched gears. And he became uh, and started to, to travel around Israel, especially that area he was from, the Galilee area, and began preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. A and it was at that time period that God truly began to set him apart as special as something different than ordinary men. Uh, it started with the baptism. You remember that many, many people in Israel were coming to the Jordan River uh, hearing John the Baptist preach and were being baptized for, uh, by him for repentance of their sins. And one day Jesus came down and, and uh, Jesus did not need to be baptized. He, he didn't have any sins to repent of. He, he was the perfect, sinless son of God. And yet he came to John to be baptized, and John recognized this truth. And he said, well, no, I, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be the one baptizing me. But Jesus said, no, I, I want you to do this. It was uh, his way of showing his devotion and, and piety to God. And, and so John baptized him. And, and the Bible tells us when he came up out of the water that, that the heavens were split wide open. And the Holy Spirit, in, in the form of a dove, came down and settled upon him. And then this booming voice came out of heaven uh, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, that didn't happen to anybody else. That, that, <laughs> that was just Jesus. Right? This was, this was God setting him apart. Jesus was special. And, and the rest of his life uh, proved that out as well. He spent just three years traveling around and doing ministry in Israel. And during that time, he continued to preach about the kingdom of God and its coming. But he did much more than that. He proclaimed that he was the Messiah. 
And as Keegan had mentioned, the, the term Messiah is a, a title that was given to the promised Savior, the Savior that God had promised clear back at the beginning, starting in the book of Genesis and, and multiple times throughout the Old Testament, promised to send this Savior uh, to mankind. And, and so by this time, uh, the Jews had been looking for, searching for, expecting that Savior to come for hundreds and, and hundreds uh, of years. And there were many people some before Jesus, many after, who claimed to be the Messiah. But God set Jesus Christ apart from all of them. First, by the fact that Jesus fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. Uh, they gave, the, the Old Testament gave numerous different prophecies uh, uh, about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled them. And, and, and it's not like these were things that, you know, anybody could just contrive to do in their life to make it look like they were fulfilling them. Uh, some of the prophecies uh, were, were beyond that. I mean, you look at uh, multiple prophecies about his birth, giving very specific details. Well, you know what? Details about your birth is not something you can arrange. <laughs> That's something that only God can do. And so he did that and, and fulfilled those prophecies. Uh, beyond that, God set him apart by the many miracles that he performed. And again, these were not just some magic trick that some practiced and polished charlatan could duplicate. These were things that could only come from God. I mean, he, he walked on the water. He healed the blind. He caused the lame to walk. He fed thousands and thousands of people with a, a, a tiny lunch. He commanded the wind and the waves to, to cease, and they became calm. He raised the dead to life. And all these things attested to the fact that Jesus was, in fact, much, much more than a mere man. And all through this, Jesus lived and it exuded joy. And he told his disciples that, that he wanted to share that joy, his joy, with them and with others. Uh, they, he told them that they would find their joy in, in following him. It was just as the angel had proclaimed at his birth, through his preaching, through his message, through his love, his care, his compassion, his healing ministries, he was bringing good news and great joy to mankind. Jesus' life, it, he brought a lot of joy and hope to people, not only through the miracles that he performed, but through his message of truth he brought of being the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, there were some, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, who they didn't believe him. They didn't believe everything that he said, and they hated him for it because they were blinded by their own self-righteousness. And so they couldn't see the truth that Jesus was speaking, nor could they experience the joy that came with that truth. And so throughout his ministry, they were trying to disprove who he was and trying to trick Jesus into saying that he was not the Messiah. And each time they failed. So eventually they plotted to kill Jesus. And on the night of the Passover, Jesus sat in a room eating supper with his disciples. He took some bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. 
And he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave it to him saying, drink, this is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew why he had been sent to earth, why he was the Messiah. And he knew all the things that were going to happen, that his body was going to be broken and that his blood was going to be spilt so that people could be free. And it was all going to start with one of his disciples handing him over and betraying him. After the dinner, Jesus and his disciples, they went to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane so that Jesus could pray. And as Jesus was praying, he began to sweat blood because he was filled with so much anguish and turmoil because he knew that his body, like I said, it was going to be broken. And he knew that his blood was going to be spilt. And his, the human side of him feared this. But the other side of it is he feared a separation that he had never experienced before. Jesus being born, he was the Son of God. He was God. But he knew that soon he was going to have to be separated from the Father because he was about to take on the sin of the world. And he knew that it was going to be the hardest thing he would ever have to do. And it caused so much anguish that even as he prayed, he prayed asking God, if this can be taken from me, let it happen. But ultimately he said, God, if it's your will, I will do it. Not my will, but yours. And as he got done praying, his disciple Judas arrived with a mob from the chief priests and they arrested Jesus as his disciples fled. And they took him before the chief priests. And as he stood there on trial before them, people brought lies and false accusations to Jesus, trying to, to get him into trouble so that they could do something. And finally, they asked him, Is what you say true? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And he replied, What you have said is true. It is the truth. A truth that was backed by prophecy, prophecies that foretold his birth, that foretold the things he was going to do on earth. A, a prophecy that was shown through the miracles that he did and the truth and the messages that he brought. A truth that should have brought these religious leaders joy. But instead, they condemned him to death and mocked him. And they took him before the Roman governor for final sentencing. Now, a man by the name of Pontius Pilate was the governor at the time. And he was known for pleasing the crowd during the Passover festival by releasing a prisoner of the crowd's choosing. And so as he stood there looking at Jesus, he gave the crowd a choice. I can either release Jesus, this man who has brought joy to many of you, or I can release a murderer named Barabbas. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, they convinced the crowd to choose Barabbas over Jesus. And so Pilate released Barabbas and then turned to the crowd and said, what shall I do with this man? And they shouted, crucify him. This same crowd that Jesus healed, the same crowd that he performed miracles in front of 
the same crowd that just days before cheered for him as he entered into Jerusalem were now chanting, crucify him. So Pilate handed him over to be flogged and crucified. And as Jesus hung on the cross with a sign above his red that said, King of the Jews, that same crowd was there mocking him. Even a criminal that hung right beside him on another cross was mocking him, saying, if you are who you say you are, then get us down. The soldiers even gambled for his clothes. And in those last few hours, there was no joy. There was only sorrow and pain as the Son of God hung on a cross, being hated by the people he had been sent to love and to save. With one final breath, Jesus said, It is finished. He gave up his spirit and died. And everything that he stood for, the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, was now dead. And the joy that his life brought seemed to be gone. And as as his body was laid in a borrowed tomb and a stone rolled over and sealing it, everyone who had witnessed Jesus' life saw everything that he did and was a part of his ministry, truly thought it was finished. The grave does not evoke a sense of joy. When you're standing before a grave, you experience many different emotions. But primarily there's that deep sense of loss and sorrow because that person is no longer here with us. And even even when we know uh, and believe the truth concerning salvation and an eternity, it's still hard. Because that life that we shared is no longer available. The, the smile and laughter of that person will no longer fill up a room. All the things that we shared together in life can no longer be done because there's a separation that the grave makes that cannot be breached. There's a feeling of loss and, and loneliness even when you're around other people because that relationship that was has now been severed. Not because you or they wanted it to end, but because death put an end to it. And what, what used to be mutual, conversations back and forth, a, a shared glance or a smile out of the corner of your eyes, the touching of hands, all those other things that go into building a relationship, now gone. It's all one-sided. And you know what the worst feeling about a grave is? It's that it's so permanent. I mean, people speak of the grave as the end because we understand the grave means that life is over. And, and the disciples and the followers of Jesus, I mean, that's certainly the way they felt. 
in the Bible, you don't find any hint that they were waiting in any type of eager anticipation for Easter morning, right? Instead, they were, they were all filled with, with grief. They were walking around in, in, a, in a daze. They were discouraged and, and despondent, and they were mourning uh, their loss. In short, they were experiencing and doing all the things we would do uh, at an unexpected death. And then on top of that, they were filled with fear, fear that the authorities who had done that to Jesus was now going to come and haul them away and do the same thing to them. And so joy, oh, joy was the furthest thing from their thoughts. I mean, even the women who went to the tomb on that first Easter morning, they were not going there with hearts filled with, with gladness, expecting some great thing, right? They were going to put spices on what they figured was a dead body. They were not expecting any type of fulfillment uh, of the angel's proclamation at Jesus' birth, right? That, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That's not what they were looking for. They, they thought all the good news had died with Jesus. They thought all the, the great joy had been robbed by the grave. And, and maybe, maybe you feel just a little bit of that even this morning. Perhaps you've suffered the death of a close loved one this year and the pain of it still aches in your empty heart. The loss is, is staggering and, and real. Or maybe, maybe you've suffered the death of good news in another way. Your, your joy has been robbed by a different kind of loss. Maybe it's financial troubles and difficulties, unexpected job loss or, or bills that you didn't uh, plan on and there's just too many expenses and not enough income and that's just not the way you thought it was going to be this year. Or maybe you've suffered the loss of some other relationship, someone that you thought was so close to you, but they betrayed you. They broke your heart. They've wounded you deeply. And, and there doesn't seem to be any possibility of reconciliation. It's almost like standing before a grave. It seems hopeless that things will change. And that's exactly where the disciples were. I mean, they, they were in that room barricading themselves in, fresh out of hope. There was no good news or great joy in sight. But everything changed in an instant. The, the, these women came rushing back from the, from the graveyard, shouting, with, with, exclaiming with great joy, he's alive, Jesus is alive. And, and you know, they should have known it, right? They should have expected it. Jesus predicted that that's exactly what would happen, but they just couldn't grasp hold of it. The disciples, even with the confidence and joy of, the, of these women, shook their head in disbelief. They, they, they'd seen the reality. They, they knew what was real in this world. Jesus had been brutally murdered and he was dead. 
how could you believe he was alive until that moment when Jesus stood in their very midst. And their unbelieving hearts were changed to believe he was alive, and that moment changed everything for them. Their, their hearts were suddenly filled with joy. It was a joy that Jesus had promised them even as he was predicting his own death. In John 16, 20, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. And now that's exactly what they were experiencing, the, the joy that came because Jesus' promise and prediction had come true. It, it was the joy that the angels proclaimed at his birth that that Jesus himself lived out and, and promised in his life. It was, it was a joy that he said he would give to them. In, in John, he said, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That's the joy that he had promised. The resurrection of Jesus Christ fulfilled that promise. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings that joy. And what's even more amazing is that joy wasn't just for the disciples. It was for everyone. And today, Jesus is still alive, having conquered the death and grave. And that changes everything for us, just as it changed everything for the disciples. Because it means we get the opportunity to experience that same joy ourselves being free of sin and able to have a true relationship with the Father. That is the joy that Jesus promised. And now that Jesus is resurrected, having died on the cross, that is the joy he now provides us. Freedom from that which separates us from God and eternal life. So, of course, the, the big question for us is, how, how can we experience that joy today? And, and fortunately, Jesus gave us the answer to that question. He told us the same thing he told the disciples. Follow me. Follow me. And in me, you'll find joy in everything else you need. Now, there, there are you know, a, a number of steps in that simple invitation to, to follow Jesus. Uh, first, it involves... Um, uh, recognizing <laughs> that he is the leader, which, which seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? You, you can't follow someone unless they're out in front and they're in charge. And so we need to recognize that truth. We, we call this submitting to or giving your life to Christ. It is giving up your own right uh, to rule, to be in control um, uh, of your own life. And then second, to follow Jesus means we have to change directions from whatever our current direction is, whatever way we're walking, we have to change directions and get in line with Jesus. It, it is not as, you know, some people try to make it to be you just inviting Jesus along with you. Oh yeah, Jesus, great guy. Here's what I'm doing. Come along and be part of my life and do it. Um, no, instead... It is us stopping and turning and going in the direction that Jesus is going. The Bible calls this repentance. 
we admit our own sinfulness. We admit that our own way of thinking, our own plans, our own ideas, our own way of doing things is not working. And instead, we turn from those things. That's what the word repentance means. We turn from those and get in line with Jesus. And finally, to follow Jesus means we accept and receive his forgiveness. It is accepting the truth that he paid the price for all of our sins. That debt that we owed God has been taken care of on the cross. He paid it in full and complete. And the resurrection proved that God accepted that sacrifice. And so we believe in his death and his resurrection. And in that, when we ask, he applies that forgiveness to our lives. Your heart is washed clean. And in that moment, you are given new and eternal life. That's how you receive the promise of the joy that he says he'll bring. Now, many of you are here this morning and you have done that. And this, that's why today is such a, a great day of celebration, today and every day. But if you haven't done that, then you can do it right now this morning. You can receive the joy that Jesus Christ offers through forgiveness of, of sins and new life. And you can receive that by choosing to follow him. And you can do that in the quietness of your heart. By turning from your own way, admitting your sin, and ask, giving yourself to him and asking him to forgive and come into your life. Jesus Christ will give you that forgiveness and new life, and give you joy. Now, we still live in a broken and fallen world. He's not saying, I'm going to take away all things that cause pain, all hardship, or all trial. What he is saying is that every day, even walking through those things, you will have his joy. Would you bow with me and pray? Father God, we are so thankful for what you have done in Jesus Christ. That you sent him not just to be a good example of what a life can be, but to be a savior, to forgive us for our sins, and to be the one whom we can turn to and follow. God, we're thankful that, that even today, 2,000 years later, you're still applying the work of the cross to individual lives, to all who would turn to you. If there's any here this morning who right now desire to receive that forgiveness, God, we pray that you would draw them to yourself, draw close to them. And we can do that simply by admitting our need for you. So God, thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for this resurrection morning that we can celebrate the victory that brings us forgiveness and new life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end today's service with one final song. And I would say that as we sing, we let the joy that Jesus gives us, just let it flow out from you. Let it burst forth. Let your neighbor know that you have that joy. And before we go, some of you may have noticed there's a little uh, piece of paper in your handouts. It says, let's have a conversation. And if you're here today and you 
heard about this joy and you want to know more about it or you want to know how you can have that joy in your life, fill out that little piece of paper. Uh, there's a table out front with some pink baskets on it. As you leave, just drop it in that basket because uh, Mark and I, we would love to have those conversations with you. Now, I want everybody, let's stand up. And as I said, let the joy of Christ overflow from you as we sing this song.